There's plenty of news and lots of commentary, and we'll have our fair share of both next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Thursday, March the 17th. It's show number 10 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. We're coming at you a day earlier than usual because I'll be on my way to Tout Wars in New York and I have to leave bright and early, well, early anyway, on Friday morning, right when I would normally start doing the show interviews and production. Of course, today, March the 17th, is St. Patrick's Day and I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday show for you, even though it is Thursday. We will have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at as Drubal Cabrera's bum knee, end-game pitching target John Lamb, and much more. And from the American League with Jock Thompson, looking at end-game relievers, Byron Buxton, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on Atlanta right-handed pitching prospect Aaron Blair, in our frequent Flyers commentary, Alex Becky looks at Miami infielder Miguel Rojas and Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Kenta Maeda. In our preseason forecast position profile segment, Greg Fishwick wraps up with a look at relief pitchers. And in Master Notes, I'll be talking about that last-minute draft prep. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Happy St. Paddy's Day to you. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of our show, as always, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson standing by with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. It's always good to be here, and this is certainly an exciting time of the year. Yeah, and uh, even though we're going a, a day early, there's certainly no shortage of news from spring training. I'd like to start in Arizona they have a lot of injuries in the outfield and a million guys in the infield, and through all of this, a player named Brandon Drury, whom a lot of people might not be familiar with, is making a push for playing time, possibly at second base, possibly at third base, possibly even in the outfield, or some combination of all the above. Yeah, so you know, Brandon Drury has several places he can play, and, and uh, could play the outfield, could play second base, could play third base, uh, and he's really doing well in spring training. Uh, you know, so it's just really abusing the ball at this point in camp. Um, last year, and he's done this before, last year he had a 1.490 OPS in 23 at-bats before they sent him down to minor league camp, and this guy's only 23 years old, and so uh, a lot of uh, still development to happen. But the thing that's happening this year that may make a difference uh, is that, that uh, a couple of other infielders on the Arizona roster are underperforming. Uh, Chris Owings is not doing all that well. Uh, and didn't do all that well last year. Jake Lamb uh, started out very hot and had a stretch fracture in his foot and, and then kind of uh, tailed off in the second half of four BPV in the second half last year. So uh, it, there, there are questions at both second and third in Arizona that Brandon Drury might be able to answer if he continues to hit the way he is. So uh, certainly Brandon Drury is someone to put on your uh, on your wavelength at this point. Uh, this is the kind of guy that, uh, as we said, at... at, at um, at 23 years old, you don't really know what to expect without much major league experience. We're projecting 12 homers, 266 batting average, and 391 at-bats. So uh, projecting some significant playing time and uh, a, a decent kind of performance out of Brandon Drury, someone you want to want to keep in mind. At the same time, uh, you might want to look uh, real hard at Chris Owens and Jake Lamb and, and wonder about whether they're going to lose playing time as the season progresses or even before the season starts for that matter. It's interesting when you look at the spring training stats for the Diamondbacks, uh, Wellington Castillo, the catcher, is actually leading them in OPS well, almost at 1,600. But the next, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five guys are middle infielders. 
Drury's first among them, but Nick Ahmed, uh, Gene Segura, Ricky Weeks is back. A guy named Reinheimer, I don't even know who that is. All, uh, all over, well over uh, a one thousand OPS. So there's plenty of competition there. It's, it should remain interesting. Uh, do we know anything about uh, Drury as a fielder? Is he a capable fielder? You know, I don't. I really don't know anything much about Drury as a fielder at this point, and so uh, I don't know what that. Uh uh, what 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 that bodes? He can play both second and third. I guess that would indicate some um, uh, some fielding prowess if he's used at both of those spots. He's been a third baseman. I think he was drafted as a third baseman, and he's played there for most of his career in the minors. But uh, scouts say he's more naturally a second baseman, and he has literally no outfield appearances in a professional regular season game, and yet they're willing to maybe think about putting him out there as well, which it seems to bode well, Nick, that the club takes uh, such a positive view of his athleticism that they'd be willing to put him in a major league outfield despite he's never been out there except you know in practicing and what have you. Yeah, I think that's definitely true, and, and of course, the, the fact that they're even considering that suggests that they got uh, at least one moving part in the outfield that they're not uh, quite settled on yet. The Baseball HQ team monitors have bumped Drury's playing time by 10% on his projection, and as you said, the victims here seem to be uh, Jake Lamb and Chris Owings losing five points each of their playing time. Over in Washington, uh, Ryan Zimmerman's health is once again a concern. He just this week got into his first game. He's still struggling with that plantar fasciitis, and I don't know if you know anybody uh, who has this condition or have had it yourself. I hope not. Uh, It's really bad. It's a terrible chronic problem. I think Albert Pujols has has it and has struggled with it. Greg Pyron covered the story in Playing Time tomorrow. He's our National League East correspondent. And Nick, uh, unfortunately, Ryan Zimmerman's health issues are not really news anymore. No, they're really not. I mean, it's uh, it's it's something that's there. It's something we know about. Um, and the the team says they're just being cautious with him. But you know, this is the same injury that he had last season. It's as you said, it's a chronic condition. Uh, it's something that when it flares up, can be very very hard to deal with. Uh, and so. Certainly, he's going to need more time off than a typical regular would uh, during the course of the season. And at this point, the Nationals, I think, are trying to avoid having him miss miss a lot of time. Um, you know, so so that that opens up some possibilities in the in the Washington infield. Uh, Clint Robinson would appear to be the primary beneficiary at this point. Uh, Clint Robinson had 272 last year with 10 homers uh, and 309 at bats as a 30 year old rookie. So uh, not a whole lot to to uh, consider there. Uh, Daniel Murphy could move into around to first base. Uh, I think the thing that, that really could could have an impact is is Trey Turner, as we know, is a, a, a top prospect, uh, and, and he's not quite ready for the majors, but once he is ready, probably mid-season, uh, then uh, certainly Tr- Turner could come in to play second base, and there would be a, an option of Daniel Murphy moving to first if they need to, to uh, uh, to protect Zimmerman, so I think in, in my in my book, I would bump Trey Turner up a little bit uh, once he gets a little more minor league experience, uh, likely to be in the majors. I think by the middle of the year, and could begin to take some of that pressure off of off of Ryan Zimmerman. It's an interesting player management issue, a guy like Ryan Zimmerman, because you think to yourself, well, the possibility here is that he's going to have some kind of recurrence of the injury, go back on the DL, and miss a bunch of time. But the other possibility that you mentioned and and seems just as likely or maybe even more likely Nick is that he doesn't go on the DL but he has to miss time because they're so leery about playing him uh, on a heavy schedule so they need to give him lots of time off so he can rest his feet and so on I'm thinking day games after night games uh, second halves of double headers if there happen to be any of those kind of playing situations uh, we're projecting him for only 430 at bats and uh, that seems optimistic given the last couple of years. I don't think he's been anywhere near 400 in either of the last two years because of various health problems. So uh, in one way, he looks like the kind of guy you probably don't want to risk. But on the other hand, if everybody in your league is is downgrading him and you think to yourself, geez, if he gets 450 at-bats, you're probably looking at 20 home runs, maybe looking at 75, 80 RBIs. If you can get him, you know, on the cheap, maybe this is a buying opportunity. It's really hard to say. I'd be scared of this, but also intrigued, shall we say? Yeah, I think so. As you say, it's a very, it's a very intriguing sort of situation and opportunity because uh, if he's being downgraded by everyone in the uh, in your league because of the potential injury, uh, then he becomes a, a potential bargain uh, rather than uh, you know than, than someone you worry about. And I think you're absolutely right. It's likely that he's going to be treated very much like a. Uh, 
like a, a catcher that you're a little bit concerned about in terms of his playing time? Uh, as you said, uh, more time off, uh, maybe, uh, maybe even a couple of games off a week just to kind of protect him. More injury news also in New York. The Mets are going to be without Asdrubal Cabrera for a couple of weeks. He's out with a strained patellar tendon in his left knee. Uh, Phil Hertz covered this development in playing time today. It looks like he's going to uh, Cabrera, that is, is going to start the year on the DL. And even if he doesn't, he's not going to have a lot of time to get ready for opening day. What what is the ramifications of Asdrubal Cabrera missing time with this knee injury? Well, at this point, I think what they'll do is simply give Ruben Tejada some extra playing time, and that has very little fantasy impact because. We're not very interested in Ruben Tejada at this point, but the guy that would, would be interesting if, if there's more playing time needed is Wilmer Flores, who uh, who has some power for a middle infielder, uh, could certainly be kind of productive, but at the same time, we know Wilmer Flores has uh, has some severe defensive issues, which may uh, make the Mets hesitate to put him in the lineup on a regular basis. So I think Flores is a guy to keep an eye on, uh, but there's certainly reasons the Mets will not have him out there every day. I saw Flores hit those 16 homers last year, but then I also saw his uh, his power index was only 86, which is 14% below league average, and his expected power index, which is a measure that's made up of what he should have had for a power index given his bat speed and so forth, was not uh, league average either. So is there any chance that those 16 homers were just a fluke? Well, you know, that's, that's indeed possible. I mean, a, a, a PX of 86 is not at all good, and I think what that suggests, of course, is uh, the balls he was hitting hard and getting over the fence, those were the balls he was hitting hard and getting over the fence, and there weren't a lot of doubles and a lot of other hard-hit balls into the outfield to to, uh, uh, to add to that power index. So yeah, maybe it was a fluke. Um, I certainly would be cautious of it at this point. Uh, the other thing is an XBA of only, um, uh, only 257, and, and that's something else that I think you need to worry about. According to the report by Phil Hertz, the, there could be some playing time opportunities for a couple of rookies, Matt Reynolds and Gavin Ciccini, who's the real interesting guy, a former first-round pick and the Mets' number four prospect, according to BaseballHQ.com. Nick, he rang up an 819 OPS in AA in 2015. Could be interesting. It could indeed. Certainly something to, someone to keep an eye on, I think, at this, uh, at this point in the, uh, uh, in the season. Well, we've knocked uh, 10% off of Asdrubal Cabrera's expected playing time. He's under 500 projected at-bats, 14 homers, 6 steals, uh, and of course you got to be leery about the steals. Anybody who's having leg troubles uh, in the knees is going to be uh, maybe a little ginger uh, out there on the on the base pass, might not run as much as you'd like. Uh, Nick, our, our buyer's guide columns this week at BaseballHQ.com are looking at end-game players, the kind of guys that you're going to pick up in those late rounds or with those last few dollars of your budget. Steve and Nick ran coverage in the batting buyer's guide says Miami outfielder Derek Dietrich makes a really nice target. He does indeed. I, Derek Dietrich is certainly someone to keep an eye out on, uh, an eye on in the end game because uh, uh, for, for I think a, a several several very different reasons. I, he's got some very well-rounded skills. A, a 134 PX last year, a 158 XPX, uh, 118 speed index. So uh, some some both speed and some power. With uh, Derek Dietrich, he can play both the infield and the outfield, so uh, it could qualify at multiple positions very early in the season. Uh, so this is a guy who could go, I think, 2010 very easily if he gets 400 at-bats, and certainly with the number of positions he can play, that's indeed possible. Uh, the thing to be careful of with Derek Dietrich is this is not going to come with a huge batting average. Uh, we're projecting 246, uh, and so I, I, you know, he's going to get some steals, he's going to get some, um, uh, some homers for you, but... Uh, 246 might even be a little optimistic. He hit 256 last year, uh, but 228 the year before. So uh, this is certainly not a guy who's going to help your batting average much. The uh, BaseballHQ.com projection is somewhat pessimistic on this score. We're giving him 350 at-bats or so, but not uh, anywhere near 20 home runs. He's down around 12 or 13 and only one stolen base in the projection. So... I don't. Uh, this is often the case where Stephen will speculate on a player based on his skills and say that he has the potential to outperform the standard projection that is created more by a, a mathematical formula. And uh, from that point of view, Derek Dietrich looks like exactly the kind of guy you want to be looking at because he has the potential to outperform his expected performance. Right. You know, this is the kind of guy that you could tuck into your final roster spot for a buck uh, and uh, it might get some value out of. Of course, Stephen Nickrand also covers starting pitchers. We refer to him all the time here at Baseball HQ Radio. And one of his endgame targets for starting pitchers is a left-hander the Reds got in the Johnny Cueto deal from the Royals last year, former top Royals prospect John Lamb. 
I think John Lamb is someone that's really, really worth keeping an eye on at this point. Now, John Lamb is going to go for almost nothing in draft because he's recovering from offseason back surgery. Uh, he's, 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 uh, it's, it's questionable to uh, be available at the start of the season. Uh, it looks like he's going to wind up on the DL to start the season. Uh, and so most people are going to ignore John Lamb because he's not going to be out there right away. But there are some interesting things about John Lamb. His, uh, if you look in, into his second-half skills last season, 10.2 DOM, 3.2 control, 37% ground ball rate. Uh, and this guy has got three strikeout pitches, a 24% swinging strikeout on a changeup, 19% swinging strike rate on a curveball, 14% swinging strike rate on a cutter. So, uh, you know, a guy like that is really dangerous when he's got three pitches he can throw for strikes uh, and, and get guys to swing and miss on. So certainly John Lamb is someone to keep an eye on. Again, he's probably not worth any more than a reserve spot at this point. Uh, but someone that uh, might have value as the season progresses. Uh, still a, a, a prospect, I think, under development, but uh, certainly a late-round friar kind of guy. His average draft position in NFBC leagues, which is what uh, Baseball HQ uses to calculate those average draft positions, is almost at 500. Certainly way, way down at the end. Uh, should be available for a dollar or, as you say, a reserve pick. Now, something else people should keep in mind, uh, he had Tommy John surgery, but that was back in 2011, and usually you know, five years on, we would say that he's probably completely recovered. Uh, he could be one of these guys who's just injured all the time, which is, a, which is a, 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 an issue as well. And Another reason that he was probably not highly thought of coming into this season was he had 50 innings in the big leagues last year. He went 1-5, and five, a 580 ERA. He just didn't look that impressive. But then he told people uh, after the season was over he had this back problem, a bulging disc. He couldn't get his mechanics correct. So this is one of those situations where uh, sort of who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? And uh, your lying eyes might tell you this is a, a pitcher to avoid. But if Stephen Nickrand says take a look at him, I say – Listen to Stephen. Take a look at him. Yeah, we're taking a look at. You know, yes, that 5.80 ERA is, is scary, but a 3.83 xERA, which is considerably better, and that 112 BPV, of course, always gets your attention for a starter. And I really like the uh, analysis that Stephen provided that you mentioned about those three swinging strikes uh, pitches that he has. Um, the fastball is not one of them, which is a little bit uh, unusual, I suppose. But uh, the fact that he can get that pitch over uh, and uh, fool hitters with it augurs well for his future. And Nick, thanks very much for talking with us again this week. Before I let you go, have you had your drafts yet? I have drafts coming up tonight, and I, I'm trying hard to remember a couple of things. Uh, one is that, you know, if you don't get the player you're shooting for, there's always always some other player out there that's exactly like him. You know, keep telling yourself, these two guys are the same player, I'll take the second one. And, and don't uh, don't overbid on somebody just because you, you happen to like that particular player. Uh, and, and the other thing is, I, you know, the, I, I, this morning, we're, we're recording a bit early this week, but look at Doug Dennis's uh, in-game column today on relievers and take that into your draft with you there's some great names there uh, that'll be worth paying attention to at the end of the draft and a piece of advice on that same note uh, Todd Zola who appears regularly here at Baseball HQ Radio a, f a fine baseball writer and fantasy baseball analyst and Todd's bit of wisdom about drafts is don't believe that everybody is after the same sleepers that you're after the same end game players that you're after they a lot of players go into a draft or into an, especially into an auction saying, I've got to save $4 per slot for these last three or four guys that I really want because everybody else is going to want them too. And you know what? No, they aren't. You know, there's a fairly good chance that if you want an end game type player, you might be the only guy. And, and it's, it's, sort of penny wise and pound foolish to hold on to the to a little bit of extra money so you can be sure of getting these guys because one dollar is going to do it 99 times out of 100 anyway just go ahead and, and spend the money earlier getting better players and then have your dollars of course as you say nick you got to have those backup guys in case somebody does outbid you for one of your end game favorites but you know have to have a have a backup at each of the those slots and you should be in good shape right very definitely Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com, and he covers the National League here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's move on to the American League. And to give us the lowdown, it's BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, PD. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, looking forward to St. Patrick's Day. Looking forward to the... Uh, the big Tout Wars weekend coming up. I've got a Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. I'm drafting in the American League. 
you always feel like you're missing something or there's something more you should have done? Always. Always. And, uh, you know, with all, all the other things just going on in my actual life, it, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. I'm going to be talking about it in Master Notes a little later on. So let's start with the American League. Uh, I don't know if this is exactly a big surprise, Jock, but the Minnesota Twins have pretty much announced that Byron Buxton is going to have the starting center field job. And uh, he started four of the last six games in center. Uh, Danny Santana, who's a shortstop by trade, played some center field in the, in the past, is now being groomed for some kind of Tony Phillips-type role. He's been in all three outfield spots, both middle infield spots. Now, Byron Buxton's only hitting 200 with a 561 OPS this string. Why do we think that Byron Buxton, or do we even think that Byron Buxton's worth having? Well, this one is interesting for me because I own Buxton in several keeper leagues, and I've, I've watched him as closely as anyone can, uh, given where I am here in California. But uh, I thought this writing was on the wall when uh, the Twins traded Aaron Hicks. I thought the plan was to, to basically throw Buxton into the fire from the get-go. So... This announcement doesn't surprise me. I haven't been watching him this spring. Uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that he's off to a bit of a slow start. Uh, normally, I would warn fantasy owners off of him for the 2016 season just based on his inexperience uh, uh, that uh, Alex Becky noted in his uh, Playing Time Today column uh, the other day. His his playing time in the high minors, it can't really be underestimated. He has less than 300 at-bats, most of which is in double-A, even though it's mostly successful. He has a big task ahead of him, and, uh, and Buxton does represent a big risk in any 2016 uh, fantasy roster construction. That said, um, he's the kind of guy I would gamble on, uh, primarily because of his speed. I think he's... He's stolen base ready. If he if he does play and get 400, 500 at bats, he's going to steal 25 bases. His defense is already major league ready. It should keep him in the lineup. And the bottom line is, this is a huge talent. Uh, the Twins are banking on even if he starts slowly, he's going to grow on the job, figure things out as he goes along. I think we saw this a little in his 2015 development at the MLB level. This isn't going to be his best season, but I think the stolen bases and the counting stats are going to make him worthy. It's a leaf of faith, but I'm someone who's willing to take it. Now, there's a, there's a couple of things. He's got that great stolen base speed you mentioned, but last year he had 129 big league at-bats, only a 66% contact rate, so he strikes out an awful lot, and that really restricts his ability to get on base. I think his on-base average was around 250 last year, so he's he's not putting himself in a real good position to take advantage of that blazing speed. And uh, so, I, first of all, what do you think about that? And then the second thing is, He's been hurt a lot in his young career. He's been missing time at the minor leagues and in the major leagues because he's got all those those injuries that wiry guys like him get. And is that a concern for you that makes you think that maybe we should be looking somewhere else? Yeah, the injury thing is something I didn't uh, mention in my opening spiel, and it's absolutely a, a, a concern. Obviously, he's been injured a lot the past couple of years. Um, the contact I'm not that concerned with. I mean, when you talk about his MLB uh, stats, uh, it's a small sample. It's 129 at-bats. Um, and I'm looking at his first half to second half. I mean, he only made 59% contact in his first uh, his first 37 at-bats. His contact improved as the season went on. In fact, if you look at his September, since we're dealing with small samples, 44 at-bats, uh, 75% contact, still not great, but his hard contact then was, his hard contact index was at 117%, um, percent, which is pretty good. He hit, he hit his two home runs in September. He was showing signs then. He was hitting line drives. He was, uh, he was hitting fly balls. Um, again, this is a big talent, and you're, you're going you're gonna to see this, this improvement come in, incrementally. I would not be surprised if he struggled from the get-go, but uh, I like I like our projections for him, um, which is uh, he's gonna. They think he's gonna hit about 260, um, maybe 268 is what we have him down for. Nine home runs, 16 stolen bases. Um, those counting stats are valuable, in, and particularly in most most deep leagues and five by five leagues. I'm very curious to see what he's gonna go for in a lot of uh, American League leagues, especially because you know the, the the promise of all that talent is very very hard to resist. But I wonder if it's going to be overpriced in a lot of leagues. I guess we'll see. Uh, I was talking earlier with uh, Harold Nichols in the National League Market Watch, Jock, about some of these uh, skills columns that we have at BaseballHQ.com, the Batting Buyer's Guide, Starting Pitcher Buyer's Guide, and the Bullpen Buyer's Guide. And uh, 
these are really interesting columns this week because they're talking about the uh, the end game guys you need to be keeping your eyes open for. And I thought in the American League, Doug Dennis, the bullpen's columnist, did just a terrific job identifying relief pitchers in the end game. They're not closers. They could be closers soon, but they're not closers right now. And in the meantime, they give you such terrific numbers. And I do you think that still, even despite the Lima plan and everything, there are owners out there who don't understand the value of these $1 end gamers with the tremendous skill? Oh, absolutely. Particularly when it comes down to giving you really, really fine ERA and whip and strikeouts, even over a small number of innings. Um, and, and the deeper the leagues get, obviously, these uh, these – these relievers are very, very valuable, and, and, and if you're right with the right team uh, in the right situation, you pick up a few wins, you pick up a couple of saves, um, turns out to be a, a terrific value play. So let's talk about some of these guys that uh, Doug Dennis pointed to. Uh, I'd like to start in Toronto with Brett Cecil. wasn't that long ago that he was the closer, then he had a, a, a bad run of blown saves, he got pushed out of the job, and then last year... Uh, Roberto Osuna just took it over the rookie and and ran with it and really relegated Cecil backwards in the, in the bullpen. Then in the offseason, the Jays went out and got Drew Storen, and that seems to push Cecil even farther back. And paradoxically, it might be increasing his value because now he's the kind of pitcher that nobody will even look at because he's too far behind the saves uh, to, to really be considered the, the closer in waiting. But he might be. And in the meantime, what a pitcher. Yeah, this is one of my favorite of Doug's picks on this uh, this week's column. Uh, even with the, especially with the closer situa- situation there, it's still a little tenuous. Yeah, you have Storin, but um, you know he 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 struggled at the end of last year. Um, he's not exactly proven, even though he's had some successful stretches as uh, closer. You've got Osuna, who uh, and and I'd be curious as to your view on this. Um, he's still pretty young, and if 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 the Jays fall out of it. I mean, is there a chance that Osuna could be sent down to stretch out as a starter? I think the Jays still see Osuna as a starter longer term, don't they? They don't acknowledge that they, they they think of him that way, but they certainly went that route with Aaron Sanchez out of the bullpen. Uh, Sanchez is now competing for the fifth starter role and doing a really good job. Uh, I I think he's probably the odds-on favorite to take that fifth spot. Uh, Osuna, I I think that. The Toronto management, at least up until the change, of course, uh, Anthopolis is gone now and, and he's down in your neck of the woods uh, working for the Dodgers. They were a pretty smart organization, and a smart organization must realize that if you can get 180 innings out of a really good pitcher, you're way better off than if you get 60. And that's just a fact. You know, the the... The 60-inning closer has a value, there's no doubt about it, especially in fantasy baseball. But in real baseball, if a guy can pitch as a starter, he's, he should pitch as a starter. And I think they think that uh, uh, that's going to be Osuna's role in the long run. He, as you said, he's only 21. and uh, But last year, you wouldn't have guessed if you, if you came into it not knowing that fact. If you watched him on the field, he had the calm and the uh, easygoing nature on the mound of a guy who's been at it for 15 years. He reminded me a lot of Mariano Rivera, like completely unflawed unflappable, treated uh, triumph and disaster both the same. He's a, he's a really good young pitcher. And I think, again, paradoxically, that's what makes Cecil so valuable this year is because nobody can see that he has any chance at saves and they're ignoring all the other good stuff. Yeah, and, and getting back to Cecil, Cecil has now put up uh, sub-three ERAs now for three straight years in a very tough division and in a very tough park. Uh, there's a lot to like about that. He's been very, very consistent. And I think you're right. I think that the acquisition of um, of uh, Drew Storen and and the fact that Osuna is the closer is is uh, clouding a lot of fantasy owners uh, to the fact that uh, that uh, Cecil is a, is a really good pitcher. He didn't give up a single earned run in the second half last season. Posted a 39 to two strikeout to walk ratio over 27 innings and a 49 percent ground ball rate. There's really nothing not to like here. Over in Baltimore, this is another guy I really like, Michael Givens. Um, I, I remember writing about him last year, pointing out the fact that while they had some pretty good talent in the bullpen with Britain and uh, Darren O'Day, the submariner, the fact remains that the best skills in the bullpen were Michael Givens. And uh, from even from his time in the minor leagues, he just stepped right into the majors and looked fantastic. And again, he's third guy at best in the bullpen looking at the closer situation. So he's going to be undervalued in most leagues. And uh, this is going to be a guy who's going to deliver you great numbers in a relatively small number of innings. And Jock, 
doesn't it seem like it's a good idea to have a guy who can pick up 60 innings of 2.5 ERA or 2.0 ERA because it really gives you the luxury of going and getting a strikeout pitcher who might have a 4.1 ERA, and if you combine them, you get a decent number of really solid innings with all of the strikeouts and the ERA you want? Yeah, absolutely, and and Britton's another interesting guy to me since I also own him in a couple of leagues. Um, I got to watch him a lot uh, last year, and, and I really like his stuff. The one caveat, the thing that concerns me just a little is that in his 30 innings with Baltimore, he didn't show the ground ball tilt that he had in the minors. Now, granted, it didn't seem to hurt him. He only gave up one home run, and 30 innings pitched is kind of a small sample. But this that could eventually hurt him in Camden Yards. Uh, left-handed batters' uh, uh, home runs are inflated by 37% there. It's the worst in baseball. He's pitching in a tough division. Um, that's the one concern I have about him. Now, going back to the positive, uh, despite the fact that he still has to confirm these these capabilities, um, I like him for all the reason you mentioned and Doug mentioned, uh, and the fact that Baltimore falls out of contention. Uh, Zach Britton becomes a safe candidate, and who knows, maybe Gibbons does get a chance at closing. They certainly don't seem to like Darren O'Day in the closer role. They've he's had opportunities because of injuries and poor performance by past closers and so forth, and they just don't seem to like him. Buck Showalter doesn't seem to like that that underhand style of Darren O'Day's. Despite his obvious effectiveness, he's been passed over more than once for that role, so I think you're right. I think that if the if Britain were to get hurt or to get traded if they fall out of the race, I think Givens could be the closer sooner rather than later. And and for that reason, I think he makes a great keeper candidate uh, if you're in a keeper league, but I like him as a regular league as well. And as for the ground ball thing in, in the minors, you know, once we say once you display a skill, you own it. And he was capable of getting huge numbers of ground balls in the minor leagues, uh, 55 60%, I think, something like that. And even if it regresses a little with the move to the more highly skilled batters, I think that the small sample size warning that you gave is accurate that give him enough innings and he's going to start getting a ton of ground balls again yeah i would agree i mean he did show it in the minors i would expect him to start showing it in the majors very soon hopefully this year because again like i said i own him (laughs) (laughs) be nice hey and uh finally in uh, your neck of the woods the angels have houston street established and the third man in that bullpen is uh uh, fernando salas is that how you say his name and uh Again, Stephen, I mean, uh, again, Doug Dennis uh, thinks that Salas has the skills to, if not become the closer, again, provide you with excellent numbers. Yeah, I like Salas. Uh, Of the three names uh, we're talking about here, he is my least favorite, uh, probably because uh, familiarity doesn't breed contempt necessarily. For my part, um, uh, I've seen Salas develop uh, excellent uh, walk-to-strikeout skills, particularly over the last three years. His control has really improved. Again, it's about ground ball tilt. Uh, He occasionally gets clobbered occasionally when he's he's a little off. Uh, If you look at that record, three out of the the past four years, he's had a four-plus ERA, which is not going to help you from your relievers, despite pretty good whips over the past three years. Um, he's really best used in a league that counts strikeouts or strikeouts minus walks. He's very good there. He's going to get a lot of innings pitched in uh, in uh, uh, Anaheim uh, because of their their relatively weak bullpen, and he could get some multi-inning opportunities. Um, this is a guy. Maybe he improves a little bit, hopefully, but uh, you got to worry a little bit about that ERA. Those are just three of the names that Doug Dennis came up with. There's a lot more in both leagues. It's well worth reading. And finally, uh, we talked earlier with Nick about uh, Stephen Nickran's endgame batters. We talked uh, uh, earlier. And in the American League, one of the names that jumped off his list for me was Dustin Ackley, who uh, not that long ago was a top prospect in Seattle. He never lived up to the billing and finally uh, ran out of uh, welcome in Seattle. He's now with the Yankees and looks like he could be a real good catch. Yeah, you know, I've been down on Ackley for a long, long time, primarily due to his inconsistency. And uh, I've never been penalized for holding that view because he's been pretty awful or mediocre when it comes down to the bottom line. Uh, And that second half that Stephen is referring to, again, it's a small sample size. It's 83 at bats uh, uh, that he did well for the Yankees uh, last year. But, you know, change of scenery sometimes do wonders, and Ackley clearly liked that short porch in Yankee Stadium in the limited uh, at-bats he had. He hit three home runs in 27 uh, at-bats. He he doesn't have a regular job. The key for Ackley is going to be his versatility, his ability to put on three different gloves. 
And the Yankees' willingness to use him in situations where he can succeed as a super utility against right-handed pitching. Will they be willing to put him in against right-handed pitchers somewhere in the outfield or at first base or second base? The Yankee roster's crowded. Uh, it's Obviously, it's an injury-prone crowd, and, and they have some near-ready minor leaguers like Aaron Judge ready to fight for playing time by midseason. I'm still not sure, but I, I, at least I'm more willing than I was in the past to take a chance on Ackley now because he's an endgame fly, flyer. He's not a regular. So I, I guess it all depends. Uh, everyone's looking at Ackley a little bit differently right now, so um, um, maybe now is his time. And, of course, I don't think he's really rosterable in a mixed league because of the shortage of at-bats and the, the fact that he's going to be fighting for playing time all this time. But in a single-league, American League-only format, I think Dustin Ackley's the kind of guy that you really should be looking at for the end of your roster, your fifth outfield spotted dollar or two or your 22nd-round guy. And there's, there's things in his history that are intriguing. There are things that are frustrating, as we know. Anybody who's followed Dustin Ackley for any length of time knows his results seem to bounce around all over the map. Uh, I'm just looking at his historical record is batting average bounces from 273 to 223 to 253 last year 231 and he's got uh, 24 home runs in the last two years despite a uh, uh, a fly ball rate that's uh, relatively low at 35 36 percent he seems to be getting results despite not having the skills that support those results and that to me is a worry yeah and the fact that he did so well in a part-time role is is one of the things that's that's interesting and you're absolutely right as an end gamer uh, he's he's very very intriguing um, he's in a, a good lineup a good park for a left-handed hitters definitely worth a shot as an end gamer also let's not let's not forget that two of the three guys they have in the outfield in New York Jacoby Ellsbury and Carlos Beltran not exactly models of of, of consistency as far as injury is concerned, uh, Ackley could back into some playing time just because these guys are on the DL. Yeah, absolutely, and it could happen quickly because you never know when these injuries are going to crop up. With older players especially, and and I keep reading that uh, Brent Gardner is is in the doghouse in New York for some reason. They're looking to trade him as well. I don't know why they would. He's a terrific player, and it doesn't make any sense to me. All right, Jock, uh, you went and saw Bruce Springsteen the other night in Los Angeles. Give us the 30-second review. Absolutely terrific um uh, yeah he's doing the river and it's and it's predictable from the beginning to end but uh he whipped the band into shape it's a very tight band uh does terrific concert versions of all the songs uh does a, a wonderful encore uh it's typical bruce he puts on a show and if you haven't seen him you're missing out i've seen it once uh and uh there are very few things in life I like well enough to want to do for three and a half solid hours. And, uh, you know, there is, uh, for me anyway, there's such a thing as too much of a good thing. But if you like Bruce Springsteen, and I've got a brother-in-law who just, he's the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan ever. And if, if it was six hours, he'd be happy or nine hours, he'd be, he'd be happy. So if, if you like a good long show, you, you sure get your money's worth from Bruce Springsteen. Yes, you do. And uh, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because he was closing out the, uh, the sports arena here at uh, in L.A. Uh, they're about to tear it down. These are going to be the last concerts uh, that uh, that they hold there. Um, I remember seeing Bruce. He uh, his first show here was the River. So I go all the way back. I've seen like you know five or six tours that he's done out here uh, in that in that uh, concert hall. We call it the dump that jumps, but it's about to be ripped down and uh, no more fitting way to go out than uh, three Bruce shows. All right, Jock, thanks a million for your uh, information about the American League. Uh, do you have any drafts coming up? Uh, got a couple of supplemental drafts in my two keeper leagues uh, coming up. These are four or five rounders uh, that basically uh, do roster fill and players that aren't taken and new players into the league. So that's all coming up next week, so I'm looking forward to that. Well, have a great time doing that. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again in a week's time. Okay, PDC. Enjoy New York. I'll try to. Thanks very much. Uh, Jock Thompson, Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our commentaries are coming up. Stay with us on Baseball HQ Radio. They're waiting for the numbers to change. There it goes. Cal Ripken comes out, raises his arm with a cap, and here is the ovation that he gets. Baseball HQ Radio. Doesn't that Cal Ripken clip just send shivers up your spine? Welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. We have our Baseball HQ Radio commentaries coming up, but first let me tell you about BaseballHQ.com and why we call it the best fantasy baseball website in the business. It's because BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game in draft season and all season with content across a wide range of great information. This week, our Buyer's Guide columns look at end game targets for this year's drafts. 
We talked about those with Nick and Jock earlier in the podcast. In his Facts and Flukes performance validation column, analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at Jose Altuve, Carlos Rodon, Mitch Moreland, and other players. And in the Rotisserie Gaming column, one of the new free agents signed to the BaseballHQ.com roster, Joseph Pitleski looks at the human element, taking fantasy strategy to a new level. During spring training, facts and flukes and our news coverage in playing time today and tomorrow help you assess players for your fantasy teams. And then during the season, BaseballHQ.com also has daily matchups reports, a daily fantasy dashboard, full team coverage, and minor league scouting. And of course, during spring and throughout the season, there are the BaseballHQ.com projections, custom draft guide, and the Mac system, roster management tools you can use to help you dominate your league and daily fantasy baseball. And it's all only at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners, BaseballHQ.com. Time now for our regular Friday commentaries. Coming up, we have Frequent Flyers. Our Forecaster Position Profile Series concludes and Master Notes. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Atlanta right-handed pitching prospect Aaron Blair is BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues Analyst Rob Gordon. The Atlanta Braves are in full-blown rebuilding mode, and while that might make them a tough team to watch over the next couple of years, it makes them a potential goldmine for fantasy owners willing to be patient and think outside the box. The one bright spot in Atlanta is that they have been able to rapidly restock their farm system and have a number of very intriguing arms. Their three most advanced arms are Aaron Blair, Sean Newcomb, and Lucas Sims. Newcomb came over from the Angels in the Andleton-Simmons deal, and Blair was acquired as part of the Shelton Miller trade, while Sims was the team's first-round pick in 2012. Of the three, Aaron Blair is the most advanced. The 23-year-old righty logged 77 innings at AAA in 2015. He has a good mid-90s fastball, an improved changeup that can be swing and miss at times, and an above-average curveball. Last year, Blair went 13-5 with a 2.92 ERA. He did strike out a career low of 6.8 per 9, but also showed improved command. The back end of the Braves starting rotation is very much up in the air, and it isn't hard to imagine the team falling out of contention early and turning to their youngsters by midseason. Fantasy owners in NL-only keeper formats willing to take a flyer on some of the Braves' young arms could net a nice profit down the road. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our Frequent Flyers commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available late in your draft and in-season in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyers are Miami infielder Miguel Rojas and Los Angeles pitcher Kenta Maeda, and here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. Who was the other Marlins infielder that arrived as part of the Andrew Haney D. Gordon trade in 2015? This week's edition of Frequent Flyers will profile Miguel Rojas, along with a Japanese pitcher who may be undervalued in a lot of drafts this year. Miguel Rojas batted 301 through 65 games at AAA, then batted 282 in 60 games for the Marlins in 2015. Currently, Slay is a backup to Gold Glove finalist. Adeni Echeverria at shortstop, the versatile Miguel Rojas may be used at several different positions by new manager Don Mattingly. In 2015, before Mattingly's arrival, Rojas not only played 32 games at shortstop, but also 9 games at second and 9 games at third. Not to mention, Rojas has even been seen playing a few games at first base this spring. That kind of versatility can prove to be very valuable, especially in NL-only leagues. Although Rojas projects to have a 257 XBA in 2016, according to BaseballHQ.com, he did earn a base performance value of 51 in 2015. That places him just slightly above the BPV benchmark of 50 for baseball's best hitters, as set by BaseballHQ.com. Plus, Miguel Rojas improved his contact rate from 81% in 2014 to 89% in 2015. His walk rate in 2015 was 7%. Why are those two figures, a contact rate of 89% and a walk rate of 7%, significant? 
because we know that 300 hitters most often come from the group with a minimum 86% contact rate, which he has, and an 11% walk rate, which he could produce in 2016. Don't get too excited, though. Remember, Miguel Rojas would have to see significant playing time due to injury or other factors to be fantasy relevant in 2016. Plus, he probably won't help you in the power and speed categories. He's averaged just over one home run and just under six steals per season in the minors. Speaking of steals, 28-year-old Dodgers hurler Kenta Maeda has a 202 ADP according to BaseballHQ.com. That places him in the 13th round of a 15-team serpentine draft. Likewise, in the FBC, Kenta Maeda's ADP is 20168. He's been drafted as high as 60th overall or in the 4th round to as low as 352nd overall or the 23rd round. So why should you consider drafting him higher than the 13th round, possibly? Here's a few reasons. First, let's look at the Dodgers' current rotation. Sure, Clayton Kershaw sits at the top, but after that it gets a little murky. Zach Greinke is gone. Brett Anderson just had back surgery. Hyun Jin Ryu is recovering from shoulder surgery, and Scott Casimir's velocity is down, according to multiple sources. Even though Kenta Maeda, like Scott Casimir, likely won't overpower too many hairs in 2016, let's face it, Maeda's not one to light up the radar gun necessarily. His fastball sits in the low 90s, yet he has the ability to strike batters out. That brings us to our second reason for possibly drafting Maeda higher than his 13th round ADP. He has the ability to strike batters out. In Japan, Kenta Maeda posted a 15 and 8 record with a 2.09 ERA and 29 starts. He struck out 175 batters and just over 206 innings pitched. How will that translate? Hopefully better than his crash course in English. Just kidding. BaseballHQ.com is projecting a dom of 7.8 for 2016, where we say the best pitchers will have strikeouts per nine ratios, or doms, of seven or higher. To put that in perspective, BaseballHQ.com is currently projecting Stephen Matz of the New York Mets to have a dom of 7.8 in 2016 as well. Yet Stephen Matz is an ADP of 113 or 7th round value, according to BaseballHQ.com, and Kenta Maeda is an ADP of 202, almost 100 points higher. Is there value to be found here? Perhaps. Good things tend to come to those who wait. Just don't wait too long to grab Miguel Rojas and Kenta Maeda, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers comment here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's our forecaster position profile report. The baseball forecaster annual includes extensive tools and cheat sheets for draft preparation. And during this preseason, Baseball HQ Radio is letting you in on how the positions shape up from those forecaster lists. Players are rated in tiers. There's elite at the top, then gold, then stars, then regulars, then mid-level bench and fringe. Here with a look at relief pitchers, wrapping up the series, BaseballHQ.com analyst Greg Fishwick. The majority of fantasy drafts and auctions are scheduled during the next three weeks, beginning this weekend. To get you ready, we'll close our series on baseball forecaster position previews with a close look at closers and other relief pitchers. Once again, this week's warning is for NL-only owners. You'll have a tough time landing more than one top-tier closer. You'll need a strong strategy for relief pitchers in your draft or auction. So keep calm and chant our BaseballHQ.com mantra. Mm, draft skills, not roles. The first thing you'll notice in the Forecaster Universal Draft Grid for relief pitchers is in the elite level. What you'll notice is, it's empty. The second thing you'll notice is that of the 14 relief pitchers in the next two tiers, three have migrated from the National League to the American League this season. The National League now has only four of the top 14 relievers. The American League has 10. Kenley Jansen is the sole National League occupant of the gold tier, which he shares with four American leaguers, including the one with all B or better reliability grades for health, experience, and consistency, Craig Kimbrell. Of the star tier's nine relief pitchers, the National League has only three. The American League has six. 
Even though the star relief pitchers aren't evenly distributed, at least the high reliability grades are, with the National League's Mark Melanson and Hector Rondon joining the American League's Francisco Rodriguez and Cody Allen. The regular level adds eight solid closers, rounding out the top 22 with three from the National League and five from the American League. This time, the National League has both of the relief pitchers with the best reliability grades, Trevor Rosenthal and Jonathan Papelbon. Still, of that top 22, the American League has more than twice as many targets with 15. The National League has only seven. And that's just the start of your troubles if you're in a 12-team NL-only league. The mid-level tier has six of the strongest setup men and four questionable closers. The tier's 10 total relief pitchers are divided evenly, with five each in the National and American Leagues. Each league also has one of the two relief pitchers with high reliability grades, Brad Ziegler in the National League and Glenn Perkins in the American League, though neither is near a sure thing. Given that the more familiar names at the mid-level are likely to draw a high level of interest, a possible under-the-radar up-and-coming National League setup man to target is San Francisco's seventh-inning strikeout stud, Hunter Strickland. At the bench level, there are only two closers to go with 17 setup men. Just one bench-level relief pitcher has high reliability grades, San Francisco's eighth-inning setup man and former closer, Sergio Romo. Of the 19 relief pitchers here, the National League has nine and the American League has ten. Looking at the 51 relief pitchers ranked in the top six tiers, the league totals are National League 21, American League 30. But fewer than half of those 51 are closers, and of those 24 closers, the American League has 15, and the National League has only 9. So, in NL-only leagues, remember to keep calm and repeat our mantra. Some of the higher-skilled setup men to target from the bench tier in the National League are Yimi Garcia, Kevin Segrist, and Arodis Vizquiino. And in a National League-only league, you can't afford to overlook Jake McGee just because he's closing in cores half the time. American League targets include Brett Cecil, Nate Jones, Keone Kella, Liam Hendricks, Kelvin Herrera, and Joaquim Soria. In the forecaster, Stephen Nickram wrote the player analyses for both Kella and Hendricks, giving them each an upside of 30 saves should they inherit closer roles. Believe it or not, the fringe and below fringe levels actually hold a couple of closers, a few more relief pitchers in competition for closer roles, and some satisfactory setup men. In the National League, those include Chris Hatcher, David Hernandez, and Daniel Hudson. In the American League, they include Drew Storen, Sam Dyson, and Michael Givens. The National League again has the two relief pitchers with high reliability grades, Addison Reed and Travis Wood. There are two areas in which the National League actually has an advantage over the American League. First, the National League has a relatively unknown international newcomer in Sing Juan Oh, setting up for St. Louis. Second, the National League has a 4-2 advantage over the American League in using your relief pitcher or starting pitcher roster slots for pitchers in opposite roles on their major league teams. American League play Trevor May is the only one from the bench level. He's in the running for the Twins' fifth starter role, and Greg Pyron wrote in his forecaster analysis that May, quote, showed skills growth as a starting pitcher, but took it to another level as a relief pitcher. Up 20 saves, unquote. The National League's four pitchers in similar situations are from the fringe level. Adam Warren, Vincent Velazquez, Drew Pomeranz, and Brandon Maurer. The latter two are battling to be the fifth starter in San Diego. Pomeranz should end up in the pen and Maurer in the rotation. To review, there are 51 targetable relief pitchers from the five tiers of bench and above. The American League has 30 and the National League has 21. Of those 51, 24 are closers, 15 in the American League and 9 in the National League. That means 15-team mixed leaguers should have a good shot at two solid closers and a highly skilled setup man. 10-team AL-only owners have about the same odds, and 12-team AL-only owners still have a good chance with a little extra attention. But even in 10-team NL-only leagues, you'll need to reach at least a round or more in drafts or go some extra bucks in auctions just to land three useful relief pitchers, no matter what their roles. If you don't, you'll be shopping in the fringe and below-fringe tiers where you may be frightened to find the likes of Fernando Rodney, for example. 
The relief pitcher residents of the fringe and below fringe tiers are too numerous to name. But in addition to those we've already pointed out, a few National League arms worth a look from the fringe level are Pedro Strope, Pedro Baez, Justin Grimm, Corey Knable, Kevin Quackenbush, Jordan Walden, and J.J. Hoover. Things may be a bit different for you if your league counts holds as well as saves, has large bench reserves, allows streaming with daily or weekly transactions, or has separate roster slots and eligibility requirements for relief pitchers and starting pitchers. But assuming you'll use three relief pitchers, remember to keep calm and chant our mantra, draft skills, not roles. Eventually, better skilled relief pitchers will get the higher leverage roles. And by the way, leverage index, which measures a manager's confidence in a reliever based on whether the game is on the line when he brings him in, is one of the metrics we track at BaseballHQ.com and report in the Baseball Forecaster. We hope the Forecaster position previews help you build your auction budgets or plan your draft rounds to roster a winning team. Best of luck for a rewarding 2016 season. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Greg Fishwick is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and during the season is our pitcher matchups commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. This week, I want to talk about draft prep. As you heard earlier, I'm heading to New York this weekend for the annual Tout Wars Draft. It's a bit different for me this year. I've moved from the 15-team mixed auction to the 12-team American League auction. This was partly to help tout organizers accommodate other owners moving into leagues or changing leagues, and partly because I left my longtime American League-only home league this year, and I wanted to keep that personal tradition going. Any serious fantasy player knows the key to a good draft in a successful year is preparation. And from that point of view, I should say from the jump that this draft prep year has been highly unorthodox. I usually start studying in mid-January, and I try to fit in an hour a day or so until the draft. This year, though, my wife and I took in a foster baby, literally a one-day-old newborn, smack dab in the middle of January. Having a newborn in the house is not the ideal backdrop for fantasy baseball research, or much of anything else. I don't think I've read a book in three months. As a result, my research for this season will end up having been telescoped into the last week or so before the draft. Of course, much of that research has been focused on evaluating and slotting the players who will be available at the draft, using the Baseball HQ Custom Draft Guide, the CDG, and the HQ Player Team Depth Charts. Since this is a very deep league, it's doubly important to know about the players who will probably end up in those last few roster slots and the reserve rounds. My research task is complicated by two factors, three if you count the baby. First, Tout Wars drafts have very liberal rostering rules. We can draft pretty much any player we want from anywhere in the world, except for players who have a National League affiliation. And second, it would be challenging even if we were just using active AL players because the draft takes place two weeks before opening day, and dozens of players are still battling for at-bats and innings in spring training. So basically, instead of researching and ranking 168 hitters and 108 pitchers, it's going to be more like 190 hitters and what seems like 2,000 pitchers. And of course, the baby's crying. Again. Since forecasting player performance and playing time is pretty much 90% of what goes on at the BaseballHQ.com website, I'm not going to focus here on that aspect of prep. Instead, I want to discuss an often overlooked aspect, especially for playing in a new league. The rules. Most of the rules in most leagues are somewhere between similar and identical, but it's the differences that'll get you, as the poodle said to the coyote. One of the earliest tasks I set myself this year was to understand all the nuances of the rules in my new league. And sure enough, tout-only leagues have a couple of important departures from more regular rule sets. First, the league uses on-base percentage instead of batting average. The custom draft guide lets users set OBP as a category, and OBP performance is pretty regular and predictable, much like batting averages, so from that perspective it's going to be okay. But based on a Master Notes column I did a few weeks ago, I'm also going to look to find all the batters who have unusually high hit-by-pitch totals, because they're often not included in on-base percentage projections. As a result of looking into this, I'll be nudging the biddability of Shinsu Chu, of Carlos Gomez, Alex Gordon, and Brandon Geyer, among a few others. And if I were in a National League only, I'd bump Starling Marte a buck or three, I can tell you. 
Another slight but important variation in tout rules is that players acquire position eligibility based on 15 games in the previous season and not the usual 20. Again, not a huge game-changing insight, but I want to be sure my draft sheet has every hitter listed at every available spot he can play. It might get me a small edge over anyone who's using reference material relying on the 20-game standard. Such an owner might not know, for example, that Oakland's Jed Lowry, who is listed in most references as third base only, qualifies at shortstop as well under the 15-game standard, although what he qualifies for most is a volume discount at the Mayo Clinic. Similarly, it's useful to know that Prince Fielder, described almost everywhere as one of the American League's many DH-only hitters, actually played 18 games at first base last year and therefore qualifies at that position in tout. And under the 15-game rule, Marwin Gonzalez actually qualifies at every offensive position other than catcher. And besides having an awesome name, Marwin is having a fine spring. He leads the Astros in homers and is second to teammate Carlos Correa in batting average. Other hidden multi-positional players in the American League include Trevor Plouffe, Eduardo Nunez, and even Texas Ripper Joey Gallo, in case I find out the tout is going to add a batter strikeouts category. The third unusual rule in the tout-only leagues, and the most consequential from a planning perspective, is the swingman rule. A few years ago, Tout removed the fifth outfielder from roster requirement and instead uses a wild card position that can be filled at draft by any hitter or any pitcher. What's more, an owner can switch that swingman slot back and forth all season between pitchers and hitters. I haven't decided what I want to do at the slot at auction, but I'm thinking about it. I checked the league drafts from the last few years and found that almost without exception, the tout experts have filled their swingman slots with the 14th hitter. They've taken advantage of the added flexibility to add hitters other than outfielders, but outfielders still are the most commonly used position in the slot. It's a hitter every time. So I'm asking myself if this could be a chance for me to zag with a 10th pitcher while everyone else is zigging with that 14th hitter. A decent $1 pitcher who will contribute is a lot easier to find than a decent $1 hitter. So I'm thinking if I keep my hit-pitch split the same, I could increase the average price per hitter, either upgrading across the board or adding some dollars to get a better bat at the top of the run, and add an extra $1 Lima value relief pitcher in that 10th pitcher slot. That possibility in turn dovetails with another slightly different rule, the tout innings minimum. The league rules require 950 innings to qualify for ERA and whip points. That's slightly less than the 1,000 innings I'm used to. If I need 50 fewer innings, and I can use a 10th pitcher to help provide them, then maybe I can change the shape of my entire pitching staff. I could get fewer but better starting pitchers. I look at pitcher rostering in pitcher pairs, each starter paired with one reliever to provide about 250 innings. If I have the standard nine pitchers, I can get to the minimum with four pairs plus an extra reliever. If I have 10 pitchers, though, I could do it with three pairs for 750 innings and get the 200 innings I still need from four other relievers. In all, that would mean three quality starters and seven relievers, presumably including a closer. If the starters and closers are all 15 bucks and the other six relievers are a buck for Lima guys, that's a $66 pitching staff, leaving me $194 for hitting. And remember, that's for 13 hitters rather than 14. I have to calculate the effect on the strikeouts category, since Joey Gallo's whiffs on offense aren't going to count, and of course wins could be an issue, even though decent setup Lima guys often get as many wins as those lousy $5 starters, and get much better ratios. But the question remains, can I get enough strikeouts, and what about enough at-bats with only 13 hitters? Time to launch Excel. I'll open up my draft spreadsheet. Uh Uh-oh, baby's crying. Gotta go. Just remember, the bottom line is this. Know your rules so you can take advantage of the opportunities they provide. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt of BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Thursday, March the 17th. Thanks very much for taking the time away from green beer and plastic bowler hats to download and listen to show number 10 of the 2016 fantasy baseball season. I want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League Minute Analyst was Rob Gordon. Our Frequent Flyers commentator was Alex Becky, And our Forecaster Position Preview Series was presented by analyst Greg Fishwick. 
I'm Patrick Davitt. Hope you enjoyed Master Notes this week. And of course, I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. If you're like me in drafting this weekend, work it hard. Get the team you want. If you want to listen to my draft, the Tout Wars AL is Saturday morning on Sirius XM, the Fantasy Sports Channel. If your draft is closer to opening day, well, keep working, keep studying, keep prepping. There's no day like draft day. So make the most out of it and have fun. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday when our Tuesday Tout guest expert will be Michael Salfino of Yahoo Sports and the Wall Street Journal. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.